too sure about that. What happens? Gary and Julius are on each other's back. They're at each other's throats. And then something changes. Now there's hugs and Sunday afternoon dinner. You see, simply, core values in that team started to come together. They're unstated ones, and then they're stated ones. And in your notes, you're going to see a core values are root, our core values are the root beliefs that a person or organization operates from. They are the principles, perspectives that guide a person or organization's behavior with others. And we all have them. We have not-so-good core values. We have good core values. We have stated core values. And then we have operating core values. And our hope is that as we think about life, there are certain principles. And for the Christ follower, they flow out of the scriptures, certain principles that we live by. They're non-negotiables. And there are core values. There are principles. And for the Titans, in that first little clip to the end little clip, we start to see some of these core values, some of these stated and unstated principles start to tease themselves out. And one of those core values for the team is that they need to start to listen to each other. And if we were to take some time, and I really actually only encourage you to do this, Take some time this week and list some of the non-negotiables in your life. What you live with, what lines you wouldn't cross, what you are engaged in doing. And one of them, hopefully, is uh, listening. And again, these core values, these principles really define how do we live? How do they show up in everyday life? And on the Titans team, they might have been listening, but there was a moment where all of a sudden they started hearing the principles and the concept of what it meant to come together as a team. And those concepts spill over, not just on the football team. It's much more than playing a game. They start to spill into all of life. And for those of you who remember the movie, that beginning clip is actually is the beginning of the clip, but is actually the end when they come together at the loss of one of their teammates years later. And they've come together. Those, those core values have made them into the men they are and the men they are going to become. So as a church family, we have core values. You could have three, you could have five, you could have ten, you could have six. You have too many, you lose focus. And for us, uh, there are two, and they come under the the heading of listening, if you will. And the first one is this one. We follow God's leadership in everything. We seek to follow God's leading through prayer, the study of his word, following and modeling his example. So when we think about where we're going as a church, when we think about a principle that really should transcend just this organization, just the body of Christ here, all of us ought to be thinking about following God's leadership and honestly following God's leadership. 
It's real easy to use spiritual language for those of us who have been around church and make it into a game and kind of manipulate with spiritual language. And we're not talking about doing that. We're talking about following God's leadership. And the only way you can do that is by listening. And the second one is this, is we honor biblical truth. The scriptures, the newer testament, the older testament, God has given us this gift, his word. And so we honor, we develop the practice of receiving and integrating God's word into our lives every day. It's just not receiving, it's just not hearing or listening to it, but it's actually hearing it so it gets integrated into our life. So it shows up into our life. And both of these core values involve listening. Your leaders try to listen, just not best business practices, not just what other churches are doing. They try to listen and pray through them. We believe that in the plurality of leadership, that that people together make better decisions than just having one person. In some uh, churches, the pastor, the lead pastor, the senior pastor is kind of like the king. And that's not the case here. You can be thankful that's not the case here. There's a plurality of leadership listening. And then the people, when we come to a new budget, we come to a new year, listening to what God is sharing in your heart. Sometimes when we uh, take an affirmation vote, I almost wish we could this would be a little embarrassing wouldn't it if we could say how many have spent real time in god's word at least four times this week because if you haven't you shouldn't be voting on this budget or voting on this thing because you're not walking with god on a daily basis you're going from some past experience we talk about growing in our relationship with god through christ There needs to be a regular time with him, a daily time. So these two core values are all about listening. And when we're not listening well, this passage is talking about sheep know the shepherd's voice. When we don't listen well, all kinds of things can happen, all kinds of problems. Er det Jan? Han skal ta ut 5 000 kroner. Hva sa du? Det er Jan. Han skal ta ut 5 000 kroner. Det er Brann. Nei. Det er Brann. Nei, nei, nei. Ikke få panikk! Nei, nei. Hva er det disset? Fatter du livbaksjoppen? Nei. Hva er det disset? Hva er det disset? That's a commercial for hearing aids. So make sure your hearing aids are working or that could happen to you at the bank if you're a bank teller. That's what's going on. But the idea of listening and listening well, you and I as Christ followers need to be good listeners, listening to what God has to say to us in and through his word, in groups, in accountability. We need to be listening and jesus talks about this this is one reason jesus uses parables he's trying to break through into our hearts to see if we really are not just 
hearing words, but we're actually listening to and in and digesting what he has to say. So we read uh, about this same time Jesus left the house and sat along the beach. In no time at all, a crowd gathered along the shoreline, forcing him to get into a boat. Using the boat as a pulpit, he addressed his congregation telling stories. When I read this, I wondered if, man, I should ask the church for a boat just in case, you know, get a little boat and, you know, then I'd be ready to go just in case we needed overflow. We could go down to the lake or one of the lakes. But uh, Jesus uses this to amplify his voice. The crowd is pushing and he's going to get ready to share and he wants to make sure he's ready to do that. What do you make of this? He starts off with a question. A farmer planted seed. As he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the road and birds ate it. Some fell in the gravel. It sprouted quickly, but it didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered quickly. Some fell in the weeds and it came up, but it was strangled by the weeds. Some fell on the good earth and produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Are you listening to this? Really listening? Later on, the disciples came up and asked, what do, why do you tell all these stories? He replied, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift. This insight, it hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insight and understandings flow freely. But if there's no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories to correct, to create readiness, to nudge the people towards receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it. Listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. Wow. In some of us, we become so familiar with Scripture, find us in this place. Listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. Sometimes when we look at the application of these uh, verses, we say, oh, that's, that's a person saying yes to Christ. And it is. But it's also those of us who have said yes to Christ. Because there are times where God's word is put out there to us. And we find ourselves, our hearts, acting like one of these kinds of soils. It scares me as someone who spends a lot of time in God's word trying to prepare messages, that there are moments where I can prepare a message, but not let it really penetrate my heart. I'm sure that uh, doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me. I can read a verse, and I can say, this is what I need to share, but then I miss it actually penetrating into my heart. I can be like one of these kinds of soils. So if you and I are really going to grow in our faith and we're going to experience what God wants us to experience, we need to be regular, diligent, 
uh, listeners who digest what God is having to say to us. And we see a couple things about this. Even when it comes to our mission statement and our vision, uh, I'm not going to read them, uh, but uh, you've heard me speak about them a number of times. And as we think about this, we think about what it means. What does it mean to integrate them into our lives? And we kind of get it, but we don't always get it. About 30 years ago, uh, we were doing a uh, youth rally at the church I was at, and we were having 400 kids come, and it was packed. Too many kids for the, the seating capacity. There were kids everywhere. And one time, one of the well-meaning parents of uh, kids in the youth group, Christian parents, comes running up to me and goes, Dave, 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 with panic all over her face. There were some teenagers on the front steps of the church smoking. What are you going to do about that? I said, what do you want me to do about that? Well, get them to go. I'm like, no, no. That's one of the reasons we're doing this. It's so kids can hear about Jesus and learn that a part of being a Jesus follower is taking care of yourself physically. So I don't want to shoo them away. I want them to come in. Now they can't smoke in the building, obviously, but, I, but the fact that they're on the front steps and not hidden someplace and causing a fire, that, that's okay. They'll come in, they'll hear the message of Jesus. You see, that's the kind of ideas in the mission statement we see there. Wherever a person is at, wherever a person is at, aren't you happy that Jesus accepted you wherever you were at. And he means everything. Everything, everything, everything. So when we think about integrating these ideas, these are concepts, and you can go back and listen to that outgrow of Scripture, a way of communicating the Great Commission and Great Commandment, but they outcome out of that, a way to say it so we can kind of dig our teeth into it. It's about integrating. Do you really understand? Or do you let things choke it out? Again, the whole vision in that bottom little line, who love and live like Jesus, making Christ followers, making disciples. And what does it really take to do that in the here and now? What does it take? When we think about missions and we think about difference makers around the world and here, do we realize as we move forward and we're, we're hoping we're starting to get closer to a potential associate pastor to join us and help serve here, do you realize that that budget line item for the associate pastor is missions? It just happens to be missions around the neighborhood. The DeMarks, whoever you want to look at the list. I hope you every once in a while go out and look at the missions difference maker board out there. I hope you've signed up for the prayer and praise that comes out once a month. I hope you're engaged in that and thinking about your difference makers around the world. But we need to be difference makers around here. It's all missions. That budget is all missions. It's not like that's more important than here or this is more important than there. It's all. It's the mission of the church, getting the good news, the gospel 
out there. So when we think about all this and we think about Jesus and we think about him communicating these ideas, we need to understand that knowing is knowing. You go, what in the world does that mean? Knowing is knowing. In Philippians, you read Paul talking about this idea. He says, to know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embracing him as Lord in all his greatness. Knowing is knowing. We in our Western world mentality think knowing is knowing something about something. That's only half the story. That's only one side of the coin. Knowing is knowing. Knowing is experiencing personal knowledge of relationship. When Paul says he knows Jesus and has turned his back on everything but knowing Jesus, that doesn't mean he doesn't live a life. He lives a, a good life. He enjoys people. He knows how to be content when he uh, has plenty and enjoy that when he doesn't have it. Knowing Jesus means experiencing him. It's not knowing facts about Jesus. A lot of us might know a lot about a celebrity or something this or that, but, but we don't really know them. So knowing is knowing. So when we lift up intellectual knowledge without having the heart of experiencing, we're, we're, we're not going where God wants us to go. He wants us to know by walking with him, by having a real relationship, by understanding that God is with us so knowing more facts about scripture more facts about god is wonderful if they inter are integrated into your life but when they're not integrated in our life what's the point it's not like there's this big scorecard and you can take this exam and if you check all the right multiple choices and answers you get golden stars on the refrigerator in heaven it's about actually knowing jesus uh, responding to his spirit in our lives. It's understanding that all of this comes from the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus alludes to this in verse 11 when he says, he replied, you have been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. And we know as things unfold and as Jesus goes back to heaven after he was crucified, he's raised, he goes back to heaven and he says, I'm going to give you the gift of the helper, the Holy Spirit, who's going to come alongside you. Actually, he says it's better to have the Holy Spirit than to have me here on the planet because he'll be with you. When you say yes to Christ, God joins your life through the Holy Spirit, guides you and directs you. So when you and I look at truth, when we look at the scriptures, it's the Holy Spirit that's giving us the understanding. If you've not said yes to Christ, as we're talking about this stuff, it's, it's missing. If you have not surrendered, and I'm not talking about getting a second blessing of the Holy Spirit, but if you have not allowed him to lead you and you've allowed calluses to get on your heart, your understanding is limited. 
And we see that it's limited by our actions. In a sense, the more you know, the more you know by experience, and the more you put into the practice, the more he releases into our life of understanding. And some of us have shut the door because we learned the same lesson over and over again, but we haven't taken a step forward. We ought to be changing and growing. I need to be different six months from now than I am today. There needs to be some heart things going on. And again, that's not to guilt you or put you down. That's to open up more of life to you. It's to open up more of this walking with God. Isn't it a wonderful thing? God gives you all of himself to you, and you just need to continue to follow him and listen. And it, the revelation, in a sense, the understanding just gets larger and larger. That's why some of us can remember certain things that were okay, and now certain things aren't okay. Certain things we would never engage with, never help, never put ourselves out, never be generous in an area, but now we are because the Spirit has led us to a new place. And we would say that hasn't taken anything away from life. That has given more to life. Life has opened up. We see life through just a better vantage point. It's the understanding of the Holy Spirit when it comes to these messages that are put. And we need to keep asking ourselves, what's the condition of the soil of our heart? And as a fully devoted Christ follower who takes a step back, we can find in moments where our, our heart is, cold, uh, is hard and we get a message, even like in a Sunday morning, and the minute we walk out the door, it's, it's gone. It's gone. We also have to understand, and this has been in, integrated or interwoven into what we've talked about thus far, is understanding as much a matter of the heart as it is the head. Again, it's not your head knowledge alone. It's not your heart knowledge alone. Uh, we get into trouble when it's all heart and no thinking, no digesting. God wants us to be thinking Christ followers. He wants those things to be head and heart, to be uh, together, to be intertwined. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an, an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from this. And this is that idea that as God reveals himself to us, as we're walking with our relationship with him, uh, he will give more himself. It's just like when you're in a relationship do you remember when you were first married, if you've ever been married before, and uh, when it was good, or hopefully it's still good, you give more of yourself to that person. You share more of your heart. You trust that person more. In premarital counseling, often I'll talk about the wonderful thing about being married to Cindy is when I come home, I find being home with her sanctuary. I don't have to, like, put an air on, not that I'm, like, you know, pretending I'm somebody I'm not on a Sunday morning, but you don't know I could be feeling horrible right now. I could have a splitting headache or whatever, and you would never know that. I can come home, and I can be real. I don't have to be guarded. I don't have to, someone ask me a question, and they're looking for a certain kind of answer, and I'm, like, trying to go, what are they going with this? I don't have to do that at home. It's safe. It's, it's not that I can be sloppy, but it's just safe. It's sanctuary. 
And the same thing is with our relationship with God. He, he gives us more, in a sense, to chew on, to digest, to enjoy as we follow his lead. But if I go home and I am not trustworthy to Cindy, Cindy will not, would not give more of herself to me. I had to learn things. I remember we were only married a couple months, and I thought it would be funny to, to hide in the bedroom, turn off all the lights, and jump out and scare her. Don't do that. I don't do that anymore. I stopped doing it last week. No, uh, but uh, that, was not, that did not cause her to open up more to me. Then she knew I was in there. Dave Spencer, I know you're in here. She could, I don't know if she could hear me breathing or something, but uh, there are other ways we close relationships by not trusting and getting to know that other person. Same thing is true with our relationship with God. All these relationships here are kind of like a reflection of what our relationship will be with God when we enter that new chapter of life, when he sets up a new heavens and new earth. That's what we live for. That's why we can't wait till he comes back, sets things straight, starting with us. Can't wait for that day. He goes on to say, this is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. I hope on a Sunday morning when we present the truths of Scripture, we present them in a way that no matter where you are coming from, there's something you can understand. That's why sometimes I use silly commercials or silly whatever. It's so that wherever you're at, you can take a step in that direction. You can see, you can get a peace, you can understand. The problem for many of us is we have this thing called selective hearing. We, 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 we don't want to hear, we hear, but we don't really let it register. Sometimes that happens when, you know, your spouse is talking to you and you're going, yeah, 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 yeah. And then your spouse says, I'm sure this never happens to you, are you really listening to me? I don't think you are. And then, you know, you'd love to be able to give all the details right back like you were listening, right? But sometimes you're not. I remember the kids when they'd be out in their swing set when they were like four and five, and I'd call out, dinner, swing, 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 swing. Act like they couldn't hear me. Then some days I'd go out just as a test. Let's go get ice cream. I mean, I would just say it as faintly as possible. Yay! Jumping off the swing, going. They heard everything I said. Selective hearing. Watch out when it comes to God that you're not exercising selective hearing. Oh, I like that. We're ice cream. Oh, coming in for dinner. Actually, I always like coming for dinner, so I wouldn't have been hesitant. But uh, do, you, do you listen? I don't want Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again. Your ears are opened, but you don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but you don't see a thing. What a shame. What a shame to come on a Sunday morning or to crack your Bible open during the week or to be listening to something on a message to sing a song and for you eyes, ears to be open, but you don't hear it. 
for your eyes to be open and you don't see it. Isaiah is speaking to his people that that's where they are. They, it's all around them, yet they don't hear it. Sometimes when people talk about going back to the old days where, you know, we had morning service, Sunday school, uh, we had something called BYF, Baptist Youth Fellowship, in the afternoon, and we'd have church in the evening, there was choir rehearsal, Wednesday night, this and that, and all these kinds of things, and, and, and I go, well, the problem with that is when we had all that Bible intake, there was way too much selective hearing going on. If that had been so wonderful, we shouldn't be at the place we are in the United States today. That should have just come along. But there was selective hearing going on when there was so much coming at them. You see, we need to make sure that we're really listening and hearing. How can I help my daughter with her reading? Searching for help with Dachshund reading. How can I help my daughter with her reading? Information on hot water heating. No. Sarah's bright, but when she's reading, she has trouble sounding out the words. World music playing track now. No. Let me try. Our daughter gets confused about which details in a story are important. Which paper towels are most absorbent? What? Here are five product reviews. I want to try something. It's going to be crazy if it works. Hey, Siri! <laughs> nice try. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Who said that over there? Oh, Donovan, you get it. You get two stars for the day. You guys got to get iPhones. What's going on here? I was wondering if that would work. Sometimes when I've been at prayer meetings, my phone starts talking to us. One time it said, I do not understand. Isn't that kind of funny? And everyone thought that was off. But, you know, when we're trying to listen or thinking about listening, there's some things that cause us to be resistant to listening or hearing. And some of that is being resistant to change. We're resistant to change. Isaiah speaks of that. The Isaiah prophet sermon came to life in Galilee. The moment Jesus started preaching, he picked up where John left off. Change your life. Keep turning away from sin. God's kingdom is here. How resistant are you to change? Not change for change's sake, but change. Are you any different than you were a year ago when it comes to your relationship with God? Are you at the same place? You see, converted people are converting. Yes, your relationship with God begins by placing your trust in him. You're saved. You're changed. You're converted. But it doesn't stop. It's not a one-and-done thing. It's one-and-done in the sense you've been adopted into God's family. He's your heavenly father. But we ought to be growing and changing, growing up spiritually. And if you and I are resistant to change, our listening is uh, just not happening that much because God is sharing stuff with us so we can change. And if we're resistant to it, there's a problem. Also, holding on to sin in our hearts. 
I had closed my eyes to my sin, the Lord God would have closed his ear to my prayer. If I'd been cozy with evil, the Lord would never have listened. There's times where sin puts a wall up. It's not that God stops being gracious. It's not that we stop uh, having a relationship with him or, or he can be our heavenly father because then that would be works-based. But there is this idea that when we harbor something in our heart, when our heart is full of something that is opposite to where God would have us to be, our relationship with him isn't good. Doesn't that make sense to you? Just think of uh, someone that you're close with. If you have an issue with them and you know about it and you're holding on to it and you're not kind of like dealing with it, it affects your relationship. It affects the way that person listens to you. It affects the way they respond and vice versa. So when you and I hold on to sin in our hearts, disobedience to God, it affects our listening ability. So we need to be very serious about sin. You don't have to be cozy with evil. And God will let you know where you are being cozy with evil. Some of the things 10 years ago in my own life are not allowed in my life because I discovered that I was being a little bit too up against the wall of something that God was not pleased with. He revealed that like layers of an onion, one after another. And I can say that as I've dealt with that, I've gotten closer. Sometimes we revert backwards and we cozy back up to it. But holding sin, you want to listen to God, you want to hear him. You don't want to be like one of those soils. You need to ask yourself, where is my heart? The blanks are all filled in on this one. Apathy, laziness, boredom, indifference. Are you hungry for God? If you're not hungry for God, that means something. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. Have you found that to be true? It's hard. I get up in the morning and get the coffee going and I get my phone out. And I start looking at the news checking up on some things like that, and very quickly I can find my time dissipates. And then I have to just kind of tack on my time with God. Rather, I'm, I'm more hungry to find out what happened overnight in the news cycle than have God speak into my heart. Why is that? Because I'm a little indifferent, I'm a little bored, I'm a little lazy, I'm apathetic. That affects my ability to listen to also, there's this idea of despising others. How do you feel about other people, other Christ followers, just people out there? Do you despise them? Do you hate them? John writes, anyone can say I love God, yet have hatred toward another believer. This makes him a phony, because if you don't love a brother or sister whom you can see, how can you truly love God whom you can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. 
won't always like them, but do you love them? Does it, does it reflect in the way you act? Do you treat people differently? Talked about this before. Sometimes there's people in life doing the same exact thing. And one bugs me and one doesn't bug me. Why? Because I like and love the one person and the other person not so much. That's playing favorites. That is absolutely wrong. And I hate it when I realize I'm doing that. My dear brothers and sisters, you are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So don't treat some people better than others. And that is hard work. I think God goes, wow, you really love me, Dave Spencer, because you were nice to that person that drives you absolutely nuts. That doesn't mean they can be sloppy. That doesn't mean you're a doormat. But you don't show favoritism. You don't withhold goodness from one person and give it to another person because one's your favorite over the other. I mean, this is hard stuff. This is mature stuff. It doesn't get any more mature than that. And, and, and I can see it. It's easy to see it in somebody else's life. And then I see it in my own life. Along with this, uh, hard to listen to God when you value others' applause. Sometimes you see this with um, high school kids uh, growing up. And if you're one of these, I pray that the applause that you want is God himself. Because if the applause is just those Christ followers around you, just the group you hang with, when that group of people changes, your bearing in life may change. Yes, you need people around reinforcing it, but you need to value the applause of God only, audience of one. Of course you're unable to believe in me, for you live for the praises of others and not for the praise that comes from the only true God. We see this happen. Someone goes off to a new place, college, new place, and all of a sudden their applause people change. And then five years later, you bump into them and you find out that they have no room in their heart for God anymore. Why did that happen? Because their, their, their reinforcement group, their applause group, has, has, has just changed to a different group. And wherever they are, that's the way they flow. When our daughters were growing up, the one that was the most compliant, I was scared to death that when she got out on her own, because she knew how to function best in Cindy and Dave's house, she would just take functioning best wherever she was, and that would change who she was. Thankfully, that hasn't happened yet. I'm always holding my breath. I mean, they're 27 and 25, and uh, they're still not, uh, you know, when they're 50, then I'll go, oh, okay, sigh of relief. But, you know, then when they're 50, I'll say when they're 70, if I'm still on the planet. But anyway, applause limits. So the question comes back to, are you really listening? Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Jesus starts to explain this. I love what he says in another parable about building your house. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to standard of living. They are foundational words to build a life on. If you're listening, God's word is to build your life on. Not just an addition. I hope you're not uh, like 
church and faith and believing and all that kind of stuff is kind of like a, a side dish. It's like your appetizer or it's your dessert. I hope it's the main dish, the dish that's got the meat and the potatoes in it, all that stuff. Worse can't be just on the side. So going back to the little story on the soil, we see the hard heart. When anyone hears news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, it just remains on the surface. And so the evil one comes along and plucks it right out of the person's heart. This is the seed the farmer scattered on the road. I hope when you come into contact with God's word, the evil one doesn't just come and grab it before it can actually start even growing. What a shame. But I know in times in my life, I've had a little bit of a hard heart. See, I don't even want to say a hard heart, right? I want to say a little bit of a hard heart. No, I had a hard heart. It landed, bounced a few times, and plucked away. And there's the shallow heart. Seed cast on the gravel. This is the person who hears and instantly responds with enthusiasm. Wow, that was a great moment. That was a great message. That was a great, great little devotional I read. He hears instantly and just, wow. But there's no soil of character. And so when the emotions wear off and some difficulty comes, there's nothing to show for it. You ever got jazzed about something? Jazzed about something spiritual? And all of a sudden you found whatever that was didn't bear deep roots. Maybe it lasted a day or two, and then it got life got crazy, and it got crowded out, and went off and did something else. The divided heart. Boy, this is where I can fall into a lot of times, my heart. The seed sown among the weeds represents the person who receives the message, but all of life's busy distractions, his divided heart and his ambitions for wealth results in suffocating the kingdom message and prevents him from bearing spiritual fruit. All the stuff, all the good stuff, another thing that now captivates my time, another busy thing, it's a good thing, but you know now I've got more stuff to do. Whatever it may be. I remember the neighborhood I grew up in, the lawns were small, and some of the people would keep their lawns, they looked like a golf course. I mean, there were sprinkler systems, fancy grass, and, uh, you know, we used to, there was this fancy golf course called Ferncroft, and we would call, ooh, that guy's got Ferncroft. You know, it was just like manicured, and he spent all this time on it. Not bad, having a hobby or whatever, but all his time on it. If I spent all that time on it, I'd never have time to crack my Bible open. There's some things that are distractions. I shared with you before, the person that had the means was getting ready to buy his big summer home, and he could just pay for it, and it dawned on him. If he bought this place on the lake, there's nothing wrong with having a place on his lake, that meant that he would be gone from May to, like, October, and he had disengaged for the life of the local church. But he bought so much into the mission and vision of the church that he stopped and didn't buy the property. Who does that? Very few. Very few. It seems like God's blessing in our life to divert us. Here's one that might get me into trouble. There is a 0.0296 
5% chance your child will become a professional athlete. Yet, there is a 100% chance that your child will stand before Jesus on the last day. Don't need to say anything more about that. The receiving heart. Now, I read somewhere, and I don't know if this is true. Some of you farmer people would know that usually when you plant the seed, normally percentage-wise, you plant one seed, you get like eight times back from it. So when we read this, eight times back from it is normal. And we see what Jesus says. The receiving heart. As for the seed that fell on good, rich soil, it represents the hearts of people who hear and fully embrace the message of heaven's heaven's kingdom realm their lives bear good fruit good fruit some yield a harvest of 30 60 and even a hundred times as much was sown so my friends where is your heart this morning i wish i could sit down with coffee with you around six o'clock tonight to see remember but you could do that on tuesday wednesday thursday but you could do that with me i'll to be honest with you sometimes i can't remember what i preached on on sunday someone that was a good sermon on wednesday i'm like what did i i don't even remember i'm the one who did it how can you if, if i did it then how can anyone else remember it's one reason message-based uh you know communion groups is good rehashing that if you're not a part of that use that think it over session try to Dig down deeper with what we've talked about on Sunday. A receiving heart just blows the doors off what is produced in a life. Leave you with this. Changed hearts are changing hearts. Changed hearts are changing hearts. When your soil of your heart is rich and ready to receive the seed, you will continue to change. Once you've said yes to Christ, there's that change, but it keeps on changing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for your patience with us. I ask if there's anyone here who's never said yes to you, never experienced that initial change of their heart, that in this moment, in the depth of their heart, they would say, God, I want you a part of my life. I want to follow you. I ask for forgiveness for my sins, my disobedience, my selfishness. Thank you that Jesus rose again, showing the power of the resurrection to change, and I want to be changed. Change me. And that they would pray that right now in their heart. For those of us who have said yes, would we be changing hearts just so that we can enjoy you fuller in this chapter of life and point you in a way that others get a glimpse of the great king of heaven. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name.